everyone. Okay, so my name is Lehana, and I'm going to be introducing our speaker for today, Mrs. Ivesdahl. I have known her for a very long time. We went to the same church for over a decade. Um, so I grew up with Mrs. Ivesdahl, um, and in that time, I have been a recipient of her continual kindness, encouragement, and support. Anyone that knows her knows that she loves to laugh. Um, she'll make the best of it any situation, and she really does love coffee. Um, somehow, everyone that's met her also know that she has a very, very deeply ingrained fear of snakes. Um, but that's not the point. Characterized by a quiet strength and overflowing compassion, Mrs. Ivesdahl has proven herself to be an incredible friend, caring teacher, and the model example of a woman of God. If you ever have the chance, I highly recommend that you get to know her because your life will be so much better for it. Please give a warm welcome to Mrs. Ruth Ivesdahl. It is a pleasure and a privilege to be here. I am... Um, this is my second year teaching here at Southwest, and I'm part-time, so a lot of you don't know me, but um, I have the pleasure of teaching music, and there is nothing better than being able to worship God and being in a place that I can sing and teach kids and worship God in the open, and I love that, and I love that about this place. Um, I'm going to talk today about a dark time in my life and how it changed me and some things that helped me get through it and some things that made it a little more difficult. And um, some of you have been through really, really difficult things. And some of you are going through difficult things. And some of you will go through difficult things. And this isn't a, like a foreboding, terrible things are coming for you, that's not what I'm saying. But we know from our biblical example that as Christians, stuff happens, right? And we're supposed to be, take joy when the bad things happen. And that's really easy to say, but it's a whole lot easier, a lot harder to do. And um, when you're in the middle of it, it's really hard to feel that joy. But I wanted to give you a little bit of a perspective, a little further perspective. And lo looking back, I can say, I have joy from that situation, even though it's ex extremely difficult. Um, I didn't do everything right, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying be just like me if something bad happens, not that at all. Um, I just want to give you some practical ideas about how to get through a difficult time with a little grace and a lot of Jesus, because he will always be with you, no matter what. Um, we have a couple pictures. First one, I think, is me at six. When I was here, I had started taking piano lessons at age four because I would drive my mom crazy when she played and I'd be like, you gotta teach me that. What are you doing? What are you doing? What's that? And so I'd been taking lessons a couple years at this point. I was from a little town in North Dakota, 1,500 people. We had a blinking red light. Since then, they made it into an actual stoplight and nobody uses it. They just drive around it because why would you stop and waste your time at a light? So that's how I grew up. I, when I moved to college, I thought my whole life was being wasted at stoplights. I was so frustrated. Um, but we had a very important part of our town. We had a Dairy Queen. So we were okay because we had Dairy Queen. Um, my parents and grandparents um, were amazing examples of faith in God. We had this godly heritage. And if I think about what the four things that were important to our family, it was faith in God, loving people, they were amazing examples of how to love people. They took people in like crazy. My grandparents actually had two little huts um, 
constructed next to their house on the farm so that they could just take in whoever needed a place to stay. Um, how to take delight in the word of God and how to laugh. My grandpa was the biggest practical joker and you never knew in any conversation if he was telling you the truth or not. And then my mom became that way. And so um, when you hear me like not able to have a really serious conversation without cracking a joke, it's because I just can't. It's all in my genetics. The next picture is me and my brothers. We had an early, we lived right next to Canada, and for some reason it, it um, thawed in March, and we thought it would be good to go get muddy. I remember my dad hosed us off before he let us in the house, but I was the oldest with two brothers, and I was always with boys. I had all boy cousins and brothers, so I was usually looked like that. I, I was playing football or wrestling because they all wrestled and they practiced their moves on me. A um, couple years later, I went to Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri for college, and it was an amazing four years. I got to um, deepen my relationship with God, and they had an amazing music program that I was able to be a part of. Halfway through that, well, actually, if you go to the next slide, this was our family picture when I was in college. It kind of looks like that old Family Ties show. <laughs> A little cheesy, but back in uh, the 90s, that was kind of the, the thing to do. And um, the brothers, the one right behind me, that's the, I always think of him as the hooligan turned pastor because he was so difficult and hilarious. And then the other one was the one that never talked. He was the tiny guy and he never talked and he turned into the tallest one that talks all the time and is a sales guy. So you just never know what they're gonna turn into. Um, but halfway through college, I met this guy in North Dakota, and we started a long-distance relationship. He was really cute, and uh, we did this long-distance thing. If you want to go to the next picture, we um, had long-distance relationship all through school. Then we got married. We, um, this picture is from our second year of marriage. We just moved from Dallas to Eden Prairie, and we look happy, don't we? Like, life was pretty good. We'd started our careers. Things were going well. At that point in life, I would say most of my life was pretty easy. Everything had kind of gone according to plan. Then um, the next pick is actually of my, our current family. So we're fast forwarding in a long ways because we've been married for 25 years. This is us from this summer, and this is our son, Caleb. He's 16, and um, he is the joy of my life. He brings me great joy. But between there, so between those two pictures, there was um, a lot of ups and downs for me. And um, it started with infertility. And I'm not gonna talk a lot about infertility, but it's a very personal journey. It's a very private thing. Most of the time, people don't wanna talk about it. They are embarrassed. The, um, it's invasive. It is, and it's expensive. And so all of those things together, emotional, it's hormonal, you're crazy and you're fine and then you're crazy. Um, it's very, very difficult. And the longer it goes on, the more down you get and the more difficult everything can become. Um, throughout that time, you know, when you, you pray, you're like, okay, God, is this even what we're supposed to be doing? And we had over and over and over, it was like God showing us, this is, you are doing the right thing. This is what I have for you. One time we had a lady call, I was teaching her kids piano 
And she called me out of the blue and she said, um, is your insurance going to run out? And I said, it's very possible. And um, she said, if your insurance runs out, we want to cover all your fertility costs, for all of the infertility costs. And she had no idea what she was even saying. I mean, that could be an insane amount of money. And um, we never asked for that money. We never needed that. Our, my insurance actually kicked in again. But to know that a non-godly woman that God just told her picked her out and said, hey, bless Ruth and Jason in this way, was crazy. And we felt like it was a confirmation that we were on the right path. Shortly after that, we got pregnant and um, had our first miscarriage. And then a few months later, we got pregnant with Caleb. And he was um, one of the biggest blessings of our lives, without a doubt. After that, we had another miscarriage. And um, that was actually an ectopic pregnancy and resulted in more surgeries. And then we had a time where we had a really difficult accident in Jason's family. His mom had fallen off a roof. She was airlifted from North Dakota to here. And um, it was a very difficult, long recovery process. And in the, in the surgery that they put her in, she had a stroke behind her eye and went legally blind. So we were having this really difficult time. And in the middle of that, I realized I was pregnant. No help, no drugs, no surgeries. But here I was pregnant, and so we felt like this was our miracle. God had given us a second miracle, and we had this great news in this awful time of our family. And so we were so thankful. Um, and then we went to our 19-week appointment. And when we showed up, um, Jason was with me. We had driven two cars. You know, some things are just like emblazoned in your mind. And I remember the first thing she said was, well, your baby has a cleft palate. And I, we looked at each other, and we were like, well, we can deal with that, you know. That's okay. And then they said, um, your baby's head is malformed and not the right size. And then they started looking at organs, and everything they saw was wrong. Malformed, in the wrong place. Then she looked at her, his heart, and she said, Everything was wrong. It was upside down. There wasn't four chambers. There were holes. Every, and our world started to crumble. We went in a little room and chatted with a couple doctors, and they said it was the first time I heard the words incompatible with life. And they offered us a termination right there. I remember Jason adamantly said, no, no abortions for us. And then they ignored him and looked at me. And I said, God started this life and he's in charge of who will end it, and when. And so if he's given us this gift, we will give, make him as comfortable and as do everything we can for him until God calls him home. Um, we left kind of in a daze. We, our pastor actually met us at church and prayed with us, and he said, you need to go get the amnio so you know what's going on. We went the next day and had an amniocentesis and waited three more days for the results. Um, we found out we were having a little boy, and he had full trisomy 13. So there's also mosaic and partial trisomy 13. Those mean that not every cell in the body is affected, but in our son, every cell in the body was wrong. The 13th chromosome had three copies instead of two. And so the, the things wrong couldn't be fixed. 
my doctor told me, don't Google this, don't do any research, you need to just trust me. And he said, most, most trisomy 13 babies miscarry early. For some reason, your baby has not, but I don't expect you to carry him to term. And um, I really don't expect you to, him to make it through the birth process because his heart is not strong enough. We named him Joshua James. We already had Caleb, and Joshua seemed a fitting brother for him. And Joshua was strong and was a fighter. And James, after my dad, we um, started praying because I believe God heals. We had people all over the world praying for our son to be healed. And when you pray, you also have to listen. And there was a night, I remember I was laying in bed with my husband, and I said, it was dark, and we were supposed to be sleeping, and I said, do you think God's going to heal Joshua? Because I knew what God had told me, and he said, no, I don't, I think he's going to heaven. And I said, I, he told me the same thing. And so we changed the way we were praying, and instead of praying for healing, we prayed that God would give us time with him alive before he went to heaven because I wanted my husband and my son to be able to have that time with him, to bond with him. So that's what we prayed. And my doctor kept saying, there's no way he makes it to term. There's just no way. And um, we just said, okay, God, it's up to you. Um, when I went into labor, we had family that was able to come. So we, when, um, when I birthed Joshua alive, we had a room full of family. My pastor came. We had five and a half beautiful hours with him. And um, we conducted a baby dedication with him. And it is probably the day in my life I am most thankful for. There is... Um, heaven is very close to me. I don't... Um, when I choose songs for the choir and for the accidentals, well, the first day I did accidentals, one of the kids said to me, we get to, do, we get to do pop music, like secular pop music. And I said, that's great, but you also get to do sacred music. Because if I'm just here to do pop music, uh, that's not what I want to do. Because my perspective is there. This is great, but it's there. And... Um, I had, uh, you know, when you, when things get out of control, how you try and control them. I want to talk a little bit about my mental health at that point. I, um, from the day of the diagnosis, it was like I went into a fog. Um, people still will talk to me about stuff from that year, and I have no recollection. I mean, some of it is just, it's just gone. I think um, I experienced things I'd never experienced. I was absolutely panicked at the thought of Caleb not being with me. He was, he was three at the time. And people want to help, and they're dropping off food, and they're bringing stuff over, and they're asking if they can watch Caleb for me, which sounds like a really wonderful thing to offer. And I was like, if somebody drives down the street with my kid, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Like, I could not be without him. And it was the first time I had experienced, like, crazy panic. Um, I started researching everything. Obviously, the doctor told me not to. I had a 
you know, when you feel out of control and you try and control things. So I, the only thing I could control was my birth plan. So I wrote, I had this crazy birth plan. It was four pages, single spaced. It had, I didn't want him to have any pain. And so it had exactly what drugs could be used and amounts I had researched to the nth degree because I couldn't control anything and I felt so out of control. And when I, by the time I actually got to the hospital, I don't even know if I had my birth plan with me. It was unimportant at that point. But in the moment, it was all I could do. Um, when we were at the hospital, we had a good friend that came and took pictures with us. And um, there's actually an organization called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep that pairs photographers that will donate their time to parents that are going to lose a child. And, um, it's a really cool organization. And um, she blessed us like crazy by dropping everything and, and being with us. Um, so for me, life is a little bit different after having Joshua. I used to go a zillion miles an hour. I did everything. I played the piano for everybody. I did every musical thing I could. I um, was social beyond belief. And now I can't do all the things I used to. I have to slow down. I have to make sure that I'm spending time in the Word. I have to make sure that I'm taking care of my mental health and my spiritual health first because I can't be a help to anyone else if those two things aren't taken care of. I have to set boundaries, but I'm also closer to God in a way I never was because I know how to trust Him in a way that I never had to before. I'm better able to come along people that are in a dark place but I can also be triggered by weird, random things and just start crying in the Mall of America because the lady walked by with the diaper bag that I had planned to buy. Um, I'm careful about what I watch and what I read and what, who I spend time with. But heaven is so real to me. I have more children in heaven than I have on this earth. Um, things that didn't help me... I had some, there's so many well-meaning people, they're well-intentioned, right, but that say stupid things. <laughs> and I had several of those happen, and I remember just, there was one time where I don't even know what was said. I actually think God, like, shielded me because I was with my sister-in-law, and we were in church, and this woman walked up, and she said a bunch of stuff, and I know I looked like I was in the conversation, and we, she walked away, and my sister-in-law grabbed me, and she said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry she said that. I, I just, I can't believe she said that. I'm so, so, so sorry. And I said, I don't even know what happened. Like, no clue. No clue. So I, people mean to do well. They're trying to help, but sometimes they say really dumb things. Sometimes um, there are the people that are, Everything's so, 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 so over-spiritualized, and if you prayed enough, this would have, the healing would have happened. And that's not our biblical example. That's not, that's not the way God intended things. And then there's the people that it's all about mental health, and um, they forget to include God when things are dark. And I'm saying we need to do all of those things. You need to take care of your mental health, and you need God in every single Thing you do, everything you say. Um, I had one person tell me, God took Joshua because he was so amazing that he needed him in heaven. And I'm thinking, God is God. He's the God of the universe. He's the Alpha and Omega. He doesn't need anything. But this is what he 
chose for our family. And so what can we do now? How can we bless other people? How can I help other women that are going through the loss of a child? Um, and it, well, the other thing that amazed me was people that would pray for us without um, asking us how to pray. And I think there's something humble in asking someone that's in a dark place how, they, how you can pray for them. Because you need to listen before you assume how you should pray for someone. Does that make sense? Um, some things that I had to... When, I, when this happened, I thought, okay, I'm going to go through this, and I'm going to beat this, and it's going to, like, maybe, maybe a year this is going to last, this dark time, but I'm going to beat this, and I would set, like, goals for myself. Okay, I'm going to do this by this time, and the thing about grief is it doesn't work that way. And until you're there, you have no idea how it's going to affect you and for how long. Um, I remember someone that I loved, it was, we were past a year and she looked at me and she said, it's time to be over this. You need to get over it. And I remember thinking, well, that didn't help. Um, because you just, you don't know how it's going to affect you. Um, things that did help me. I had a book by a lady that had lost a child that told her story, um, paralleling it to the book of Job. And I kept that book with me. It was probably in my purse for a year. It had scriptures. It like said, okay, if you're feeling this, and it had scriptures. And I would fill my mind with scripture, fill it with scripture. I would find one that spoke to me, and I would repeat it over and over and over. Because if you, have, if you fill your mind with scripture, then your mind can't be full of all those other thoughts, right? And so I would over and over and over fill my mind with scripture. Um, exercise and nutrition was huge for my mental health, and I could tell the days that when I slacked off on that, it made a huge difference for me. And then keeping Christ central, always scripture, prayer, worship. In the Bible, our example, over and over and over when things are going wrong in the Bible, what, was the, what, what did they do next? They worshiped. Paul and Silas were in jail. They worshiped God. In the throne room of God, they're talking about the bowls and all these terrible things happening. And then what is happening in the background of that? In the background, they're worshiping the King of Kings. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That is on repeat constantly. And so when we can change our focus from what's happening here, even if it's bad, to him and what's happening in heaven, it changes our perspective. Um, I have a video, and I want, it has pictures from, of Joshua, but it also, it's, it has a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman, and the year that this happened, this was 2010, um, he had just lost a daughter in a terrible accident, and he had a whole album that came out, and this song is about beauty from ashes. And so as you listen to it, would you listen for the, um, Listen for the heartbreak, but listen for the hope in it. And at the end, it talks about heaven. So three things to listen for. Listen for the heartbreak, listen for the hope, and listen for heaven, because that is our focus. And when the video is done, you may be dismissed. And thank you for being such a gracious audience. <laughs>